0: He's recently admitted that he drew uh, originally drew the curve on a napkin when he was drunk. He was having dinner with uh, <laughs> Jude Wininsky. They they were were talking about it, and he drew this thing. And he, he didn't. He, he actually didn't even remember drawing it. That's that's how much wine <laughs> he had in him at the time, or, right. or maybe hard liquor. Like and uh, you know, so that tells you a lot right there.
1: Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Ah. Caller to your cell tower, the rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my of truth, Miss Rayleigh Lightheart.
2: Hello. How are you doing, Johnny?
1: I am great. I'm having a great week. Thus far, thus far, it's Tuesday, but I'm having That's a, amazing. I, I'm having a great week. I'm excited about our guest. I'm excited about economics. Me too. You know, I just had a post saying I, I don't know if you saw this post. that did really, and it was like mm-hmm. I felt inspired because my brother had called me from Austin. He's like, dude, I'm really liking what the libertarian libertarians are talking about. I just read Murray Rothbard. And you know, for a recommendation from you, Johnny, and I'm digging what, what he's saying. I get it. We shouldn't have a state. This is all BS. I'm excited mm-hmm. to get this done. I, I just want the state to end. But we have a problem. How many black people, how many minorities are in the movement? And I go, uh, I know like 10. And he's like, but dude, that's not enough. Like we need to change. Everyone needs to get in on this. And how do we do mm-hmm. it? And I go, I don't know. And I wrote a post saying like, you know, I don't care what color your skin is. We need to get I saw ev- that. I yeah. saw it. We need to get <laughs> I everyone involved. Thing. We need to get everyone excited about liberty. And, you know, then again, I get turned around. And then some people are like, oh, you're virtue signaling. And then I have other people who are saying, I'm racist because I called people black or brown.
2: Yeah. And then um, people of color. And, I said uh, people, people of color, th-
1: black, brown, whatever. That's what I said mm-hmm. my exact word. Yeah. And as far as I remember when you say the word people of color, that's not racist. I, I that's think That's the
2: new way to say, yes. you're supposed to say people of color, and I know that all of my SJW friends literally ask us to say people of color, so that was really surprising to me that you got yelled at for that. I know,
1: that um, was racist, and I'm like, I, I'm getting tired of it. You
2: know, I'm, libertarians, oh they just get all weird about words, and the truth is, is that I think they were saying that even people of color calling themselves people of color, that's racist. You can't win. I think it's about the individual and the they're getting very nerdy about the individualism, but, it's but that wasn't the point of what you were trying to say. you I know. know. I mean, whatever. We need whatever. to get everyone
1: in on this front. You know, that's all I'm trying to say is we should get people yeah. excited. Okay. Yep. Raylene, we have a great guest. A private property society theory was developed by Robert Winzel as a theory on a type of societal structure that exists where respect for private property is preeminent. Each property owner is free to set any rules he chooses for his property-based societal structure. Wenzel sees no role for the government, laws, or government security, and has argued that in a private property society, competing private security firms would emerge. Robert Wenzel is editor and publisher of EconomicPolicyJournal.com and Target Liberty, where he discusses relating to free markets, liberty, and private property society theory. Wenzel does not expect to see a private property society develop in his lifetime, but he loves the intellectual battle involved and promoting it and the smashing of the status. I can agree with this. Okay, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green.
2: Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny.
1: Let's blast off with Robert Linsale! Oh!
0: Coming out, sir. Hey, it's great to be. This is awesome. This is an awesome ride. This is a
1: great view. <laughs> yeah, we're going off into the stratosphere. Mr. Winslow, thank you so much for being here on the show. And I was just telling Raylene and you, uh, before we did the show, how much I enjoy your your videos on YouTube, your speeches. You gave this really great class about economics to a bunch of socially left anarchists and economically left anarchists and you kind of persuaded them from what i heard in the in the speech you gave like it was compelling how wonderful that you made them switch Beautiful. over to your side in this in this class you gave about austrian economics and I thought it was just fantastic. And and that was one of the main reasons I'm like, I got to get this guy because he's great. He's a great communicator and he's very logical and very logic based. And again, thank you so much for being on the show. And I guess the main topic I want to talk about is what is a private property society? And could you define what a private property society is? And maybe could you paint a picture of what that would look like?
0: Sure. The, the reason I developed the uh, private property society theory is because there's essentially two basic perspectives that look at how society must function. And I, I found fault with both of them. Um, okay. For example, Ludwig von Mises calls for utilitarian society. Ludwig von Mises is a great Austrian school economist, or I should say, he uses a utilitarian argument to develop for a free market limited government. He wasn't wasn't an anarchist. And Murray Rothbard, who uh, actually attended the uh, seminar Mises used to give in New York City, mm-hmm. uh, attacked this by saying, hey, when you're doing utilitarianism, what you're basically saying is that you're trying to s- determine what is good for everybody on the planet kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. if you're saying, well, the way we have to go with this is we have to look at what's good for everybody or mostly everybody, then you're, you're doing uh, a, a sort of a—it's uh, a kind of totalitarianism, really, in a way, because you're you're saying everybody has to go along with this. Mm-hmm. Now, what Rothbard delivered as opposition to this is uh, he 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 jumped on board the natural rights theory, and mm-hmm. I have problems with natural rights. And it's really interesting because Rothbard was very good in at attacking utilitarianism, and Mises was very good on at attacking natural rights. And okay. what Mises said, and this is true: is that, you know, there's nothing within society, Earth, the planet, where we can see where there there are these natural rights that actually exist. We can say, you know, this is a right, that's a right, and what the Rothbardian natural rights people advocate is a uh, a kind of a non-aggression principle, where as long as you, you you, there is a natural right not to attack anyone else, but as oh, Mises is pointing out that's that's not true in nature There's all kinds of animals that attack all kinds of other animals for all kinds of reason the idea that killing is somehow uh not natural is is just not true okay and the problem then becomes well where do you stop these natural rights if you're sort of pulling them out of the sky and you say well you you can't hurt somebody else you know where where are you getting this from okay and you have other people, you know, the, the lefties claim, you know, healthcare is a right, uh, right, education is a right, and you can't really battle them by saying, mm. well, the only rights are these because they're all being pulled out of the sky. I agree with Mises in his attack on what what, what turned out to be Rothbard's position, and I agree with Rothbard's position in attacking utilitarianism. So okay. the problem is, how do, how do mm-hmm. we get to a justification for any society, what makes sense. Mm-hmm. And um, Friedrich Hayek, the uh, Austrian school Nobel Prize winner, once said that every major advance in economics has been an advance in terms of recognizing subjectivism within the theory in developing subjectivism more. Now, okay. what subjectivism means is that you look at things from the, the fact that man acts and he has values and they're they're subjective values they're not the kinds of values that can can be uh determined like like you do in uh in science where if you put x amount of uh fuel in, in a uh, rocket ship the rocket ship we took off on just a few minutes ago, you can know exactly how far it's going to go and mm-hmm. and, and right. all that it's very very objective but as far as a human you know if a, a human falls in love with somebody or has taste for this or that there's nothing that is uh scientific or at least not at this point anyways, where we can we can sort of point to an objective way, a mathematical way. It's each individual has his own uh, and desires and tastes and and all that. Mm -hmm. And so Hayek said that in economics that that, that's the key. The key is understanding that man acts in a subjective manner and therefore how can we explain the greater society economics, prices, and all that. And, and of course, Mises and Hayek both, both spun out uh, most of economics based, based on that kind of stuff. So I took that idea and I said, you know, this kind of make this subjectivist thing makes obviously makes a lot of sense. So how can we solve? Is there a way to solve the problem that a natural rights don't work the way Mises says they don't and mm-hmm. utilitarianism doesn't work the way Rothbard says? And my okay. thinking is okay. Well, let's let's look at a place. Let's you, when we were sort of a, at an early stage, kind of a uh, a limited number of people on an island, and every everybody sort of there's an I, I think there's a natural instinct to uh, desire uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, property and, and things of that nature. Right. And I mean, if you, if you look everywhere, San Francisco has homeless all over the place. So yeah. it's a good good sort of working experience experiment for me. I mean, I can go anywhere and you see the same homeless sleeping in the same spot every, every night. They, they sort of get comfortable with it because a, they probably feel safe in that area. They know where it is. They don't have every night have to go looking for, for a new place. So even at the the most basic level, there, there appears to be this desire for property. Now I admit, and, and I wrote right in my, uh, in my book, uh, Foundation of Private Property Society Theory, I write that, you know, there are nomads, so it doesn't apply for, for everyone, and, mm-hmm. and I've since learned I've been doing some research on nomads, and there really aren't that many anymore. I mean, they, they're, they're, there's some that are sort of semi-nomads, but they, they camp down for different periods in, in different parts of the desert, and they're, they're doing the same thing as everybody else, pretty much, you know, occupying the same property
1: It's kind of like when we're in school, like we sit in the same chair every day. When we go, right. like when we're in classes, so we go. We sit in the same spot. We don't own that chair, but we find right. kind of comfort.
2: Even in less, even in less uh, orchestrated and through other people, like teachers making you do that, uh, people sit in their own chair at the dinner table. Kind of everyone has a place that they sit. They like comfort and they like consistency.
0: Yeah. yeah, that really. That's a good, good, good example too. Yeah, of the the dinner table because there it's not that no
2: one's forcing it. It's kind of like that's just where they gravitate towards. Dad sits in the same seat every day. It's even yeah.
0: more interesting. to show you how much people recognize private property. If you're ever sitting at sort of a uh, some kind of casual restaurant or a pub or something like that, and you know there's say three of you and there's an extra chair, it hardly ever occurs where a person is just going to come over and take that fourth chair from you for for their group if they need an extra chair. They're always gonna come over and say, is this chair available?
2: Absolutely
0: kind of of respect for private property. Everybody sort of gets it, even if in that case might be a a temporary private property. Mm -hmm. So I I take this notion that there's something very, very important to the human being about property, to having an area to start off with just just the land property, having an area where where they would like to control. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you know, I add the fact that people have different things, clothes, books, whatever the case might be. But the problem comes in if you have property. And again, we're, we're talking about this is before sort of any civilization develops. If you have property and there's somebody else who wants property and then he sees your clothes and all this kind of stuff, well, he could want to maybe steal that from you or take that property. Right. So the problem becomes, you know, how do we resolve that? And the thing is, if you've got all these people that sort of have their property, but somebody else may come along and steal it and things like that, it really makes sense for people... Generally, from an individual, not because there's natural rights, Mm -hmm. not because there's utilitarianism, but from a subjective perspective where for their own good, it makes sense for them to go to everybody sort of around and say, hey, let's agree not to go stealing everybody's property, that anybody can have their own property and they can do anything they want in it. Therefore, we're not going to waste all our time in battles. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and then, Makes sense to me. Okay. So so that basically, I mean, then you then you can develop it from there where, where trade is good. We know, for example, that the Homo sapiens, we probably have smaller brains than Neanderthals. But mm-hmm. Neanderthals weren't traders. They, they sort of were kind of a, a national, very nationalistic kind of mercantilist group. They didn't trade with other Neanderthals. So we kind of had an advantage because when we trade, you get to see what other kinds of products other other homo sapiens are making, and you can sort of bring them into your uh, your community by yes. by trade.
2: Yes. Exactly. And, yes. and, and the communities would have uh, different skill sets because of somebody's idea and them sharing that. They'd be developing that idea, of course. And, and this is exactly. part and of peaceful relations.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it happened with weapons. So mm-hmm. the homo sapiens, I mean, we had really sophisticated weapons. And whereas the Neanderthals, who had bigger brains, but didn't have this instinct to trade, you know, would have to think it out for themselves, each new weapon, because they weren't trading with the Neanderthal camp, you know, down the, down the hill from them. Right. So if if you talk to archaeologists, what what you learn is that, you know, pottery, weapons, anything, the Homo sapiens, it's, it's sort of, what was developed sort of spreads across the whole area, whereas the Neanderthals, it's kind of always kind of a separate development where you you can see that there's no trade from one group to the other. So that's probably why we deal because because we traded. So trading really raises the standard of living.
1: Yes. It's social, you know, biological in a sense. I mean, we survived because we traded.
2: Well, community is very important. Community is very important to, to humans, period. And it's also important to the to voluntarism and all of its incantations, wouldn't you say?
0: Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so anyway, so that's, that's essentially the sort of the rock foundation of my private property uh, society. What, what you really have is a situation where people just sort of respect their,
1: mm-hmm. each
0: other's property, not because there's utilitarianism, not because there's natural rights, but for their own subjective good, it makes sense for everybody to agree to leave everybody else's private property so you're not battling all the time, and then you go to the higher level arguments where that that means there's trade there's division of labor and all that stuff which in, improves the society now of course then then the objections are going to come in about well how do you police that from from the outliers that are going to steal anyways and, mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that but the beauty of it is it's a really just live and let live at the core level do whatever the hell you want on your property do not allow Anything that you don't want on the property, allow what you want. And the same thing goes to everybody else. So so it's a it's a kind of a neat neat kind of thing, I think.
2: Very cool. I, I really like, so what I'm hearing, so I, I want to just weigh in on what you're saying. I, I like everything that you're talking about. I don't really think that in the very beginning, let's say we had this uh, natural right property type, or not, sorry, property rights society. I don't actually believe people would be going around and ensuring their rights. I think it would have started where people were defending their property or getting it back and kicking someone's ass for taking it. I think it starts there. Just like with manners, manners were developed because this is the kind of thing that would happen. The conflict would would make people change their behavior, just the conflict itself. And you don't want to mess with the neighbors because you don't want them to kick your ass or come take your kid or whatever they're going to do for retribution. People would start minding their own business and finding their own things and doing trade because there are natural consequences to taking somebody's things that they've decided are theirs. So I think it would have developed on its own um, without even the talking. At this point, where the, the culture as it is, yeah, you have to go get everybody's agreement and talk to them because they uh, have no concept of property rights. They they really don't. Yeah, yeah
0: Raylene, I I think you're making an ex- excellent point on in both cases. You know how, wh- what really probably happened mm-hmm. early on, but then again, we have this this sort of this instinct uh, that man probably uh, that man probably has. And uh, Walter Block, I believe, just just put out a paper on it. That there, authors. there is an instinct to sort of follow a tribal leader and things like that. I haven't read his paper yet, so I don't know completely all his uh, his his argument on it. But so, so that's probably why we end up with the society, the kind of societies that we have, where there is uh, uh, governments and, and sort of people follow these governments and all that. But yeah. but I, I, my thinking is that well, if you can have a leader that calls for this kind of government. You can also have a leader that calls for a private property society. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and yeah. We, we just haven't seen that because generally, when you get a leader, what happens? It, it's it's advantageous to be the leader, and then you can you can just siphon off so much for yourself that you know there's no yeah. no incentive for that leader like to sort state. of be in the private property society. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the yeah. forming
2: of the state because when you think so about- so now
0: that given we're we're as large as we are we have the communication skills that we have you know especially in these days with the internet and podcasts like this one it's much much easier to get across the point where a private property society makes the most sense
2: yeah. and
0: if there is a leader while well, these you know when you when you when you're talking about the masses that really aren't spending most of the time talking about theory the way we are or your listeners listening to it you know if 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 you get a leader you want a leader that is is not at all in favor of the normal government institutions, right
1: it should be a a voluntary kind of thing
2: absolutely and or yeah, well, yeah. even yeah uh, even
0: even just a sort of a i'm I'm thinking more of an intellectual leader that says, yeah. hey, this um, private property stuff makes sense. Let's just leave people alone on their own property, respect yes. their own property. That's a leader. That's That doesn't... Not matter.
2: a ruler. So you're describing what a leader is. Just somebody could stand up and say, here's some great ideas for terms of engagement with all of our neighbors. Everyone will get along if we try this idea because it, it actually makes things the most fair for the individuals, each of us. And we can all work within this parameter easily. A ruler is the one that starts dictating and also being able to skim off the top. And and it, it's uh, one is about sharing ideas and one is about asserting ideas.
0: Correct. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that's basically, uh, you know, the, the the two types of things. So I, I so I, I see even the potential, even though there is this instinct, I I'm really amongst the masses, because again, anybody that's listening to this show, I mean, we're, we're kind of uh, an elite here. I mean, we're, we're thinkers, we're mulling this stuff around, and we're, we're thinking about alternative societies and all that kind of stuff. That's not the average person. And there's nothing wrong with the average person who just you know, wants to watch you know, three hours of a baseball game on, on sure. TV. You know, if they want to do that, that's fine. And they're the ones that will instinctually, and, and there's a lot of them, just follow a leader. But that's the key. It can be a leader. It does not have to be a ruler.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. So, how is a private property society different from the works of like Murray and other concepts of property rights? And how does private property different from Hoppe's private law society? And are are they same are they the same or is there differences? Mm. Uh, what what is your thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, you you going to have to repeat the first one. It's how is private property society different than what I didn't catch. So oh, I'm, I'm
1: sorry uh, uh regarding how is it different than Murray rothbard would have oh, oh, rothbards okay okay all right or Hoppe and his private law society
0: yeah that that's a that's a really good question uh as far as rothbard, once you get past that initial hurdle of the natural rights which i, I think is a problem with with regard to the foundation, you're basically looking at a situation where it's pretty much the same because on my property if we had a private property society i would basically buy, my rules would be basically the non aggression principle mm-hmm. so i'm very much in sync with uh, rothbard's thinking on that okay. okay so so it's really just that that first hurdle it's okay it's not natural rights it is the subjective desire for private property that makes a lot of sense okay that
1: makes sense all right
0: and then what would you do on your property what would the rules be of your property and i would pretty much default to the non-aggression principle
1: now you know, like a like, really quick i, I want to jump in if you don't mind sir but like really i mean you could be like a natural rights libertarian and be a subjective property rights believer right mm-hmm. and right. those two could work they could work together very in easily. conjunction perfect in conjunction with each other right i right. mean very easily so I mean yeah. I don't I don't I don't yeah. really okay I'm sorry that's all it's, I want it's
0: it's it's really a case where I mean we're we're getting into the subtleties of the argument here because basically if if I if there's a natural rights libertarian out there like Rothbard or a mercesian utilitarian after that first hurdle the difference in the foundation we're we're pretty much going to advocate for the same thing mm-hmm. so this this. Very, very little problem as far as that's concerned. What it, what it really is, is like I'm, I'm arguing on a very theoretical level here. You know, okay. Rothbard is right. There's a problem with utilitarianism, and Mises is right. There's a problem with natural rights. Therefore, sure. how do you get to it? So, so if you're, you're, you're actually arguing this on the high level. We're talking what, what, what Hayek, uh, I guess, would call initial dealers in ideas. Mm-hmm. If you're mm-hmm. going to find somebody that has Sees the problem with utilitarianism, and sees the problem with natural rights. It's going to say, "Well, then, how do we solve this? The, you know, you you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater with regard to the whole natural, um, the non-aggression principle, and all that. So you got to you introduce my private property theory from the subjectivist perspective, and what that does is it is it solves the problem that a uh, a thinker who's really thinking this stuff out might." Uh,
1: my spot. Right on. Right on. Great answer.
2: Is there someone beeping like crazy pants in your neighborhood? Yeah, you know, I have to apologize. I don't know what that is. That's San Francisco. What about... <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Maybe it's a
0: guy sleeping in his car. He put his head yeah. down. I don't know. Too uh, much rice He's, he's yeah. drunk.
2: Mm. Okay, so I have, a, I have a question about hostile encirclement. Since we're talking about property rights, uh, let's just say... Like A lot of people assert that without government, we'd have corporations abusing people with no way to stop them, right? So let's say a large company came and bought all the land around somebody, their their homestead. And then they put in giant wells in and took all of the groundwater so the person on the property didn't have any water or access to water. Mm -hmm. Uh, How would this work? where is the violation of property rights? Is water a right or the access to water from their property? And is there, uh, you know, like uh, rules in place for who got there first?
1: That's a very, very deep question, really. Very Thank you. Good. Um,
0: there, there's, a, there's a couple levels actually to that question, but the key one about are, the Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, the, the, the key problem you have with, with that is I, I don't. I don't really see that happening in a private property society, based upon the fact that it doesn't really happen now. For example, if there is a store owner that's looking to put a put a store in a mall, mm-hmm. I mean, he's basically going to make sure that he's going to ha- his customers are going to have access. It's not going to be like a situation where he's going to put a store and then the mall owner is going to suddenly put barriers or stores around so nobody can get access to a store. The same thing if, if, if we rent an apartment or office space or we go traveling and stay in a hotel, we, we expect access. And, and that would be like an immediate awareness of you know, pretty much everyone that you know if, you, if you're going to get a property, make sure access comes with it.
2: Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. not going
0: to be in sense. a situation. Yeah. It's it's like it's. I don't, I don't really and see it happening because everybody's going to mm-hmm. pretty much know. Well, if if I buy this property, am I going to have access? That that would be like a real estate agent one-on-one lesson, saying and and here's how you get access and how you're not going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you could have a situation where somebody buys a property and then it's surrounded. But th- that kind of stuff, if if it happened at all. People would learn about that so
2: quickly, and then develop. And and not only that, there'd be like tunneling and airspace. Yeah, but there would
1: always thing. be a free market solution to overcome the problem. I agree. Yeah, like, it, would, if,
2: it would
0: be. You know, it would really basically come down to you know telling people you know, you don't be an idiot and buy something where you're going to get blocked in. But but it doesn't. It really doesn't happen. It, the, you know, there is no mall that blocks in any retail owner. That what, what more than more likely than anything. Is what the a mall owner is going to say is, look, we have this much traffic. It's it's a great location because there's access from this highway, this highway. You're gonna get all these people in from additional access, all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it it wouldn't happen, you know, and and there aren't apartments where uh, people are sort of blocked off. It just you you always have the lobby and and the corridors and all that kind of stuff. Is that
2: because the state exists with the you know, is the state right now, the government in the state right now ensure that people do not get trapped in their land, right? So that's the law as it stands. So in a stateless society, uh, in a free society, how would we make sure? I, I think that there could be selfish people who would block off access to others that were there first. You know, I mean, it would happen. I don't know. I
1: think, I think they'd be socially castri- uh, castrated. I agree. I mean, like, I mean, mm-hmm. like uh, there would be public pressure because nobody wants to be yeah. Sorry my language, sir, but like what I'm saying is nobody wants to be that guy because now they have to deal with the social implications or the results of that, the negative effects of them being jerks. Yeah. So I
0: I don't, I don't really even see that as much as it it just, it just not, not occurring. I mean, I'm not big on the uh, sort of shaming of people for what they're doing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I really don't care what other people do on their property and what I envision is a situation where if, if I've got a property, I'm going to just sort of make sure I have access, whether that means there's a road owner that I have a contract with that allows me to get onto a main highway or whatever the case might be. I don't really see I don't really see that developing as a problem. People are just going to um, make sure they have uh, access. It's just mm-hmm. coming yeah. and, and I'm not sure. You, know, I, I don't think there's probably any rules as far as malls anyways. you you, you got a lot of uh, rent control rules and stuff like that. Yeah. But as far as a mall, it's, it's the, uh, the mall owner.
2: They're, they're designing a mall. A mall is designed for access to all stores. There's going to be obvious prime real estate in the mall, which are the like, uh, easier access. The end,
1: like close, the JCPenney, yeah. the ones on the ends, mm-hmm. for some reason, are the big ones. Close and to they the have parking the, lot.
2: Yeah, yeah. Close to the food court, maybe. Uh, you know, prime locations, you're going to pay more for that. But they do want you to have access to all of that because they make a cut off of who's paid rent to be there. So it's, it's good business.
1: Everyone, everyone benefits from that situation. Right, right.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I just, I just don't see it, you know, it, it wouldn't, I don't see it happening. I mean, if there's a couple of horror stories in the beginning, usually it's the other way around. You get, you get some kind of a landowner who uh, doesn't want to sell their property. And so then uh, a major uh, contractor has to build around them. I, I recall a the situation in probably the eighties or something like that in, in Atlantic city where there was a little old lady and she wouldn't sell her house. So they, they, they had to build a whole casino all around her. So it's usually the other way around.
1: Right on. Hey, make sure you check out America's fastest growing number one pro Liberty radio program. Free talk live free talk live is on how many nights a week, Raylene?
2: Oh, seven nights a week.
1: Okay, right on at 190-plus radio stations, coast to coast, and it's pro-liberty every issue, every time. So check out freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Anyways, so this is Johnny Rocket with Raylene Lightheart, always launching ideas, and we're talking to Robert Wenzel. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Rock and roll. listener chances are some of you are business owners entrepreneurs or have a product that you're dying to bring to market well there's something that you all have in common you need a killer brand website and an all-around awesome design to stand out from your competition well i have the solution for you Invisible Hand Design. We've trusted them with Launchpad Media, Blast Off Branding, Liberty Force, and even my wife's presidential campaign website. They do not disappoint.
2: Yeah, didn't they also do the branding for McAfee in 2016?
1: Damn straight. So if your company's image could use a hand, go ahead and reach out to them.
2: Right. They're even offering Blast Off listeners a 20% discount on their first project. Book your conversation with them at invisiblehanddesign.com forward slash off. oh hell yeah and we can
1: even do one better if you work with them we'll feature the project all over our social media page to give you a launch and a little extra rocket fuel in your engine anyway so that is invisiblehanddesign.com forward slash blastoff again invisiblehanddesign.com forward slash blastoff this is johnny rocket always launching ideas in your direction With Johnny Rock and I'm here with my Ray of Truth, Miss Ridley Lightheart. I am. <laughs> and we're talking to Mr. Robert Winsell. Thank you so much for being here. Man, I am really my fascinated. I, I, I just love it. I just love talking about property rights because it's so cool. It's like, it's the thing you own, you know? And I, it's, it's the cornerstone of libertarianism, in my opinion. It's what liberty is. Absolutely. And uh, thank you so much for being here. So, what we do here, sir, and on, on the second segment, it's called Rocket Fire. What Rocket we do on Rocket Fire, sir, is I'm going to ask you a series of ten questions. These questions will be politically related, and if you can answer these questions between thirty to sixty seconds, I'd be badass, Mr. Winsell. You ready to play Rocket, I'm fire. Rocket I'm fire. fire? I'm ready. I'm ready. Right, here we go. Question one: We obviously know you reject the idea of natural rights, but why?
0: Okay, basically, it's 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 a simple situation where. I I don't think there is anything as far as uh, a natural right that you can see in nature, the the way you can see a a lot of um, all scientific kind of explanations. Gravity, you understand, like I, I used the example before, fuel in a rocket ship. And there's just nothing where you can point to and say, this is a natural right. That's why you have people claiming all kinds of rights all over the place. Right on. Question two.
1: What do you think of the concepts of voluntarism?
0: Uh, that's that's fine. I, I have no problem with that. I, th- I think some people tend to take that to an extreme where they they, they don't inter- want to interact with uh, society overall, That where, where there's government involved at this time. And, and I, I just think that's a mistake. I think we trade and, and do things to the degree possible in the current society and, and not ignore it where you're. You know, you're sort of off by yourself. And then it depends. There's different kinds of voluntarism. So you would get into different tracks on that. But that's that's basically
1: my uh, perspective on that. Right on. Under what conditions is the use or threat of physical force justified?
0: Yeah. See, now, I I would just leave that to every individual on their uh, private property. I, I, I just don't think these things that sort of come out of the sky that apply everywhere to everything makes sense as far as uh, I'm concerned. So mm-hmm. we, it goes back to subjectivism and everybody can set their own rules for their own property. And you just got to know where you are. Like you are now, you don't go into bad sections of town and you don't go into on property where there's crazy rules.
1: <laughs> right on that question. Four. What topic about libertarianism or anarcho capitalism has been the hardest for you to wrap your head around? What concept was the hardest for you in your, in your journey in liberty?
0: Uh, let's see. Uh, a difficult concept. I, I tell you, the, the biggest problem was just the uh, natural rights versus utilitarian position uh, okay. until I sort of worked that out. And then secondarily, uh, libertarian punishment theory, which I was able to work out once I got the private property society stuff down.
1: Very, very interesting. Question five. Does pollution violate the non-aggression principle?
0: Yeah, it, it would. It would violate the uh, non-aggression principle. It would violate uh, private property. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Right on. Question six. How does a libertarian morality differ than the statist, the common statist?
0: Yeah, I would say there is no libertarian morality. I, I would say that uh, morality is separate from. From the rules of how uh, a non-aggression principle society would work that, that just sort of sets the boundaries then within that you you can have any kind of morals depending upon what, what good view whether whether it's from a specific church or, uh, or whatever you want mm. and, and there's separate things really
1: Right on question seven. what are some problems with government health care from a video of yours that nobody really ever points out?
0: Yeah, well, the real problem is is that it would, would suffocate further creation of new products and, and things of that nature. Everybody's sort of looking at it as a, well, will it lower cost. But when, when you start to introduce uh, government involvement in, in any particular area, what you're going to do is you create uh, central powers situations and you're going to get the bad guys who are going to focus on influencing them and you don't have that free market creativity. It's it's terrible, and nobody, nobody brings that up or understands
1: that. Right on, man. Eight. Do you believe that people have free will, or are we tricked into thinking we have choice?
0: Uh, that's a really interesting question. and a good Actually, Walter Block and uh, another good friend of mine, Michael Edelstein, go back and forth on this. <laughs> uh, Walter Block is from the uh, free will camp, and Michael Edelstein... By, by the way, that sound, when it's short like that, that you hear in the background, I have to apologize. There's a huge building going up to next to me that is a 40-story building. And oh, every no time problem. they raise the crane, I just <laughs> learned this by, by being that. next. They, they sound an alarm, that horn, to sort of alert everybody that the crane is taking material up, which is a great example of, of free market. I doubt the government introduced the law that said, you know, sound an alarm every time.
1: No, the, um, it, it happened out of natural, just natural order.
0: Well, I I think what happened is the uh, insurance companies, you, you probably have guys in major insurance companies working all the time thinking about construction sites and how to make them safer. So right. what they do is they insure a company based on a certain amount of accidents. And then the insurance companies go in and figure out, well, how can we cut back on accidents? So if you pass by this building or really any construction site that's actually... Quite a bit of construction going on now in the city. You will see you have to wear boots, you have to wear helmets, you have to wear eyeglasses. Yeah. And and it seems now they all have to wear the, uh, the these bright, shiny vests also. Yep. So it's, it's a continuation of an increase in uh, safety at these places. And my guess is that most of it is coming about by the insurance company saying, you know, we'll give you insurance, but you have to agree to these, uh, these safety uh, measures. That's so, right.
1: That's right. I agree. And that's how the, all businesses should be run. I agree. Right, 100%. right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: I mean, you don't really need these central planners and that that's really the problem. If you had a central planner, then you would you would end up with sort of goofy rules put in there to protect somebody or help out somebody that is close to the central planner. And, and, right. and it just slows things down, makes things bureaucratic and, and all that kind of thing.
1: So do you think we have choice or do you think we have free will? Oh, going back, back to that. Back
0: to the free will thing. I, I'm, I'm sort of an agnostic on the uh, question. I think Hayek has done some interesting work on that because what he says is well, there's so many so many inputs that yeah. an individual sees at every second that it's as though we have free will because we can't predict exactly what's going to happen in every situation, but it's really not. It's just so many inputs, which is kind of, interesting i don't i don't know if i completely endorse it but it's complete it's a very very interesting way to talk about it and i just think it's way over my head and it's one of those things that i'm never going to be able to I don't answer. have the
1: answer either i don't know right. question nine, does absolute power corrupt absolutely
0: no question
1: no question it's
0: there's just too many influence that will try to get to the power and things will move in the direction of the people that can influence the power Right on.
1: Question ten: What is the Laffer curve, and why is it misleading? Oh yeah, the la- the, the Laffer curve, pun intended, is a joke. I mean,
0: <laughs> you did this video. What you I thought it was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's this theory developed by uh, the economist Arthur Laffer, or or actually the curve is probably developed by him. And he actually he's recently admitted that he drew originally drew the curve on a napkin when he uh, when he was drunk was having dinner with uh, Jude Wininsky, I think a supply side economist who has passed away. But they they were we're talking about it, and he drew this thing, and he, he didn't he, he actually didn't even remember drawing it. That's that's how much wine he had in him at the time, or, right. or maybe hard liquor, like and uh, you know so that tells you a lot right there. But then Wanniski remembered it and would write these memos to global leaders and world leaders, and in in one of them he he talked about the Laffer curve. And basically, uh, I, I forget, this is supposed to be a 30-second answer, so I apologize for that. No, no, it's but, fine. Go ahead. But um, what what happened is uh, Laffer basically is saying that if you cut taxes, what it will do is it will spur so much new uh, growth in the economy that you'll actually increase revenues and get more taxes out of it. And right. it, it really depends upon where you are on the curve. There's nothing that says... Now we are at such a place that if we cut taxes by our minor amount, it's going to mean more revenue or less revenue, sure. and it's it's just a, a a theory that is like well yeah okay it kind of makes sense but you know you, you can't apply it in in the way they're trying to apply it to to justify actually lowering taxes without cutting spending. That's what they're really. It's really kind of a socialistic scam going on there. Okay.
1: Right on. And the bonus question, how is gentrification a good thing? And what are some of the positives that come from it?
0: Okay. All right. So from these questions, I can see you have uh, definitely watched my videos. I so, have. Okay. So so what's going on is most people in, in an area where there's gentrification is sort of being pushed out. Mm. What's going on is the people that are being pushed out are being pushed out by people, obviously, who have more money, who are, are more skilled people as far as uh, their, their lawyers, their doctors, their major league corporate executives, that kind of thing. But what people don't realize is when you have those kind of corporate executives and lawyers and doctors, those are the ones that can support you know, independent bands, independent artists, more restaurants, so you got more waiter jobs. It's creating more opportunity for the people that were in that period before it was gentrified. So they have to sort of move out a little bit, but that's because the pool of people that can support the people that have these creative abilities or, or little skills, there's going to be more jobs, more opportunities. You, know, you don't have a starving artist in, in, the, in the middle of uh, the country somewhere on farmland because he's never going to sell anything. He needs to be we a place where there's a lot of people with a lot of money that can be patrons of the arts, right. and, and that's the kind of thing that that gentrification does. It, it's creating a bigger pool of people for for the people that are being pushed a little bit out. It's, and it's it opens critical, up more yeah.
1: opportunities. Exactly. Yes. Absolutely. And that's Rocket Fire. Give it up for Robert Wenzel. Nice job. Bam. Awesome job, sir. Thank you. Alright, All it's right, so this- you. This is Johnny Rocket. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Rock and roll.
2: got we nothing to
1: I'm Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my rancher Truth, Miss Really Lightheart. Thank you. It's been talking, fun. It's been fun, really fun. And we're talking to Robert Wenzel. Thank you, sir, for being here on the show. Yeah. Good job on that rocket bar. Fun stuff. No pleasure. I fun. love it. I love doing those things. I'll tell yeah. you, that's my favorite part of the whole show because it just throws people off. Like sometimes I'll ask a question about economics, something sometimes social. It doesn't matter. I just go all over the place, and it's and it's fun because you get to really know how people think. And I think it's really interesting I to I actually find out. was
2: thinking your questions were amazing, Johnny. That was a great rocket fire.
1: Well, Very thank good. you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. And he supplied some of the material because I just watched a lot of his videos. So I'm, <laughs> like, I'm going to ask him about
2: <gasps> So, yeah.
1: Raylene, take it away.
2: Well, um, so I just want to say that was a really interesting discussion on the free will thing. I would love to do a show about that. I think it's so cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. And great answers and, and really fun. And I like at the end, you're like, and I'm agnostic about it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I
1: don't know. I don't know the answers. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't
0: know if I have the free will to answer that question. Anymore. That's <laughs> yeah.
2: great. Okay. You know what? I'm going to give you a little grab back because we have a little, only a little time left. I'm going to ask you, uh, do you want to answer an IP question or one about children?
0: Uh, let's do the IP. What the hell? We'll get those people riled up.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I personally don't believe in IP, but I wanted to ask you, uh, what's your position on intellectual property and can someone own an idea and then how would someone protect their own business idea without the government stepping in to stop anyone else from developing it also, you know, the the classic go ahead. Great question. Great
1: question. Yeah. Well, my, my,
0: my basic view is, and, and again, this is not, this is, uh, Coming from a different perspective than the natural rights perspective where where there's sort of this god of the machine kind of thing that says, well, if you create something with your mind, it belongs to everybody mm-hmm. I, I just don't agree with that I, you know if if somebody's on my property, yes I'm gonna you know have a situation where they agree that anything I think about, whether it's a song, whether it's a book, well whatever it is along the intellectual spectrum, mm-hmm. that they have to agree that that belongs to me, that I set the boundaries with what they can do with it.
2: Yes. Because okay. So like an NBA. I'm creating it
0: and that's, that's it. That's, that's the rule.
2: Okay. Um, so would that be like a non-disclosure agreement, basically? Like I'll share this music with you, but you have to promise not to steal it.
0: See, see, basically what I see happening on a, on a, on a private property is there, there will probably be very large. Law law, I don't want to say uh, private police protection
2: mm-hmm.
0: and each private police protection will sort of have their own law. this is what we enforce this is what we enforce now you're going to want a generally you're going to want a big police department so they can fight off any bad guys or anything like that so i what, what I expect would emerge out of that is like five, ten, a dozen who knows how many uh police departments which you don't have to really hire any of them if you don't want for your property but it probably makes sense for most people to say okay i'm going to look at this this is what their rules are aha this guy enforces private property which means that anybody who uh sort of uses my property without my intellectual property without my uh permission they they're going to stop that mm-hmm. so um yeah. that that's basically the way i would would see it enforced and you know who know and, and and i really see a, a situation where you know most of these police departments uh, pol- private security really have agreements with each other how they resolve these kind of things uh-huh. because it would be it's not very productive from a business perspective to be you know shooting each other out for some small client they are just going to say okay look this is how we deal with this stuff in this situation and that and if there's a question this is how we do juries and if you're part of a private security team you hire you're going to agree to to their the jury system and whatever it might be, again, you could choose any kind of jury judge system, whatever you want on your property. You could choose a big one, you could choose a small one, but that that's what it'd be so i i'm I really would not be concerned about it from a private property uh, perspective, but i i really i I'm, I'm just of the belief that if I create something, it's coming out of uh, you know my mind i'm I'm gonna control it, and there's no there's no other question. I have n- I have not seen a uh, objection to that that can can counter what I'm saying there.
2: What if you build off of the idea and innovate off of an idea that's already been made? You can't stop other people's brains. Um, how would you stop the innovation that would come from the inspiration of hearing that idea? Because I mean, we're using Rothbard's ideas and Mises, well, who used Mises? And you know, I mean, these ideas are kind of are meant to be multiplied and expanded upon and innovated upon. I mean. Uh, would that mean that you were not allowed to use those ideas to um, further this ideology?
0: Well, that's, that's actually a, a good question. And it really goes back to even the wheel. Okay. Because let's say there's some guy that invents the wheel. Okay. Mm-hmm. And does that mean that he gets to control all wheels and uh, across the whole planet Forever? From yeah. property perspective? And I would say no. And, my argument there is it's the same one actually that Rothbard used, and that would be that it's it's not who gets to an invention first, but it's independent discovery. Mm-hmm. So if if a guy in, invents the wheel, but then somebody else invents a wheel somewhere, and the first guy can't prove that it was stolen, which you know, it's, it's it's a hard thing to prove that it could be stolen. So so you could have multiple uh, inventions of the wheel. That's to to the point where it would almost become absurd to try and stop someone from using a wheel. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so it kind of eliminates the problem of these, well, you know, this first guy to invent a wheel. No, it's, it's independent discovery and that was Rothbard's position on it. Now, as far as intellectual debate, you you would think that you would just sort of debate people who are entering the arena of intellectual debate, would want their ideas discussed with others and Mm -hmm. built upon. Mm -hmm. So they they would sort of go in with that that kind of uh, uh, perspective. Now, you can't have a perspective that's that's different. There's a guy by the name of Andrew Galambos Mm -hmm. who actually held the view that his stuff was his. He tape-recorded some of his thinking, and apparently it was very, very interesting thinking. People paid a, a lot of money for it but his stuff is not going to get spread anywhere because mm-hmm. when he died, his ideas died with him because he doesn't want them spread. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, exactly. you know, you want to do something, nothing like that. You're fine, but you're not going to become a big name in the intellectual debate. If you don't permit anybody from understanding or discussing what you're saying. So that, that would be a rare situation. And that just sort of die. I mean, most, most people who are, uh, in the intellectual game are there because they, they feel they have ideas that are probably better than others. So they're, they're willing to let their uh, ideas spread wide and far.
2: Yeah, beautiful.
1: Sure, Absolutely. Really quick, I mean, here's the thing, though. I think it's up to the individual. I don't think it should be the government. I think it's up to the individual to make sure that they put in safeguards to, if they really want to protect absolutely. their recipes. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: absolutely. You know what I mean?
1: Like, like in the, you see it happening now, like DVDs, you know, like you try to copy one now. It's like impossible. Like there's so many different layers of security and encryption and DVDs where you really can't, or Blu-rays for that matter, mm-hmm. you can't really, in, you know, copy them. Or you know, if you buy a a CD from iTunes or whatever, you can only, you know, you can't really download it and bring it other places. Even though you own it, you own it that one time, and it's for you to play. And I think it's up to you to, you know, uh, you as a business, even medicine, you mm-hmm. know, maybe you have to go to a, a clinic to take a certain, you know, uh, experimental mm-hmm. drug so that it can't be, you know, reverse engineered. So somebody else can right. take that recipe or thing. So right. I, I, again, it's up to the individual to protect that. Right.
0: And, and, and and from an economic perspective, there may be times when it just doesn't even make sense to to do the protection, whether it's intellectual or uh, a physical thing. For example, you can go in a candy store and they have candies all over the place. And in order to uh, protect completely from shoplifting, you, you would put all of that behind uh, locked cases but that that wouldn't make any sense you you, you take the small uh, losses from from a shoplifter because you're, you're gonna be selling so much more by uh, by keeping the uh, the things unlocked I mean you go into like a Walgreens especially around here I don't know if it is by yeah. by you but there's yeah. I mean they 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 lock owner in these days and all kinds of things it's, it's just a terrible thing but you know there's so much Crime from the homeless here. You have you understand why they they have so much lockdown. but right. but for the most part it's 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 open and they 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 take the hit on on small amounts of uh, theft. To and, and to relate this back to intellectual property, I publish uh, the EPJ Daily Alert, which goes out Monday through Friday and talks about investments and how to position and what's going on in the economy and real estate and interest rates and all that. And I, I charge it's five hundred something a year now. I forget what it what it costs, but uh, the thing is that's designed for an individual. But I, I know for a fact that some people buy it and they they share it with three or four other people or whatever. And I uh, you know I don't know how to stop that or even if I want to stop that. But I know example that, that that goes on because every once in a while it's kind of funny. They will instead of sending it out to their whole group, they will include me in the group message. The guy who gets mm-hmm. it goes oh. Wenzel thinks this today about this, you know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, 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 that's right. That's what I do think.
1: (laughs) That's great though, but it's actually advertisement. Like, and I was in a a rock band for 10 years and um, we were, you know, we had CDs and I always said, Hey, no, if you're a local artist or you're in a band or whatever, you know it's, it's cool like please support them because they're really you know the big record companies the guys in the big studios I mean those guys don't care if you're downloading their music that actually they probably think it's awesome mm-hmm. because the record right. company is getting like 99 point nine percent of the profits right. um but for the like the local guy the guy on the street the artist you were talking about with the gentrification that guy right. relies on it so I like I always go and buy those guys CDs or artwork or whatever just to support them because I know they're Busting their tail to do it. However, like in a in a way though, when we found out we had some of our music getting stolen, I didn't care because right, I thought right. it was great. Because it's like that's just advertisement for me, right? Like, steal right. away,
0: a, yeah, yeah. So, so it, it really depends upon the case whether you want to crack down totally, or you don't. I mean, this is this is you know I, I see it as a minor thing, and and it's been a, one guy actually a friend of mine who who subscribes. He says, you know, I send this out to people. So you know you should put on there that um, you know how to subscribe in your letter itself, so that's what I do now, so if you're reading somebody, but you know who knows it it doesn't really it doesn't bother me and it's it's a marketing decision to some degree you know how much do you want it to get out there and you exactly know, and yeah. I don't even know how it would be probably be very complicated i I could I guess go to a website where where you have to have the the membership to to get in gain access and all that, but I just send it out as the uh, email alert and you know, if it gets gets beyond that, that's not a problem with me.
1: That's awesome. Anyway, so, Raylene, prepare for landing.
2: Oh, roger that, Johnny.
1: Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders.
2: NAP initiated.
1: Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Robert Wenzel, give us your dot .com, sir. Okay, you can
0: go to economicpolicyjournal.com and uh, targetliberty.com. Both of those will get you to my uh, my sites and everything else I'm doing from there. And and also if you want to go to my YouTube where Johnny, it looks like you've you've been spending a I lot of time.
1: It. I spent a lot of time on that damn website. <laughs> I love it though. Awesome. awesome. It.
0: Go to winzel.video. You don't have to put com or anything. W E N Z E L dot video. And that'll get you right to the my my talks on
1: mostly economics. And you have like a ten part thing you did on youtube that that's what you said you'd like yeah yeah, yeah I, I sort of, classes
0: right right I, I sort of put them up whenever i see something uh in the news where where i think it needs to be discussed i i need to do one on comparative advantage i haven't done one on oh, that that's yet. a good one
1: that's a good one yeah i love it i love it anyways are you gonna stick around for the after party you got 10 15 more minutes
0: all right that sounds like fun that, yeah, yeah, this is what we do for our
1: for our uh, com- you know, for people who subscribe to our show. And speaking of people who subscribe to our show,
2: really how do they do it? Well you just go to supportblastoff.com and Damn. subscribe. That's it. It's a dollar show. It's that
1: easy. Yep. That's it. A dollar, that's it. Yep. So you get to hear more of this show. And hear more about economics just yeah. for a dollar. Yep. Per episode. Yep. That is amazing. Yeah, you cheap. Toss,
2: toss in two, you get two extra shows. It's oh really my good. God, you're uh, crazy. Yep, two awesome. shows. That's two right. shows. You get the oh, after Party and the All Nighter with you and me. Oh, that sounds like
1: a blast. No pun it's- intended. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is Johnny Rocket. If you want to hear more, check us out again on our After Party show. Thank you so much for being here on the show, Mr. Winzel. And we got more questions for him. So, again, subscribe. We'll see you next week. Rock and roll.